Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 53 Professor Pandemonium the Lich Ringmaster. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Ian Shoulder's table in the Levitating Platter. Welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial D&D podcast in my humbly biased opinion. I'm joined uh, by another great guest. We met through our music fraternity, and now he is... Well, I'll just let him take it away, so uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us what it is that you do. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Ian Shoulders. Um, I'm currently a law student at West Virginia University College of Law, but I spent about five years before that teaching eighth grade history in Memphis, Tennessee. And so I've been back and forth and, and just kind of finding my way, I guess. That's very cool. Um, I was debating whether I was going to nerd out on you, but are you familiar with the Fallout franchise? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm a big Fallout 76 player, so of course the setting for that game is in West Virginia, and Morgantown is one of the places you can go in the game. So I have to ask if you've seen a Grafton Monster, a Mothman, or a Snallygaster. So, not me personally. Those are all um, not in Morgantown, uh, ironically. They're, you know, Flatwoods is in Flatwoods, and Mothman is, you know, in the southern part of the state. But, you know, the Woodburn Hall from WVU is, is a major feature in that game. So it's funny. You drive downtown and you drive right by it. It's, it's wild. Oh, that's super cool. Well, not so that I spend the entire podcast nerding out about someone who lives in real life, West Virginia. Let me go ahead and ask you currently, or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? So it's actually an interesting question. Uh, my experiences with D&D are pretty minimal. Um, I got introduced to it through, I guess, a lot of people sort of in the last five or ten years through actual play podcasts. Um, one in particular, I got really into it from an outside looking in perspective. And then I tried, I was part of a small group that did an online game, but like these things work, the schedules just got in the way. And so that only lasted for about a month. And then I actually started a club with my eighth graders 
I was like, well, I can't fight anyone to play with, so I guess I'll just DM for these 13-year-olds. And it was fine because they didn't know the rules well enough to call me out on it. So, you know, my experiences have all been fast and loose. If I sat down at a table with some real legit rules nerds, I'd probably get run out. But ironically enough, I'm actually uh, in a list for a West Marches campaign that's going to be starting, I guess, pretty soon. So hopefully I'm, I'm getting back into it. That's awesome. Uh, I know I've wanted to maybe try and open my own home game up uh, to be a little more West Marches style, but I know in the times of the coronavirus pandemic, I'm holding off on our big epic climactic boss battle until we can all be in person again. Because I feel like, you know, they're fighting for a castle. They kind of they kind of need that in person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm lucky because this group of people that's doing the West Marches campaign, uh, I got plugged into it from another student at the law school. And so it's all sort of like young professionals. It's very much like, you know, like those things work. It's who's available at this time. And it sort of adapts. It allows for a professional career or, you know, law school. So I think it's going to work out pretty well. And obviously, you know, I've got a baby on the way. I guess that wouldn't be obvious, but, you know, so (laughs) a West Marches style campaign is, if I'm going to play, it's probably the perfect thing for me right now. Exactly. And uh, hopefully your group isn't plagued entirely by rules lawyers since, you know, you got plugged in from a law school acquaintance. Yeah. Someone saying, I object to the dungeon master. Overruled. Sustained. Buzzwords that I know. Right. So on this show, we like to ask the deep thought provoking questions about NPCs and side quests. So the first one of these is, do you have a favorite NPC from an RPG or video game, you know, if not their literature, history, film, TV, etc. And why are they your favorite sidekick NPC? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know about the kosherness of name dropping other uh, podcasts, but it's fine. Like I said, I was introduced through to D and D through the Adventure Zone, and after you listen to those guys, it's really hard to listen to anyone else, and so. I haven't really listened to many other actual play podcasts, but I've listened to the balance campaign probably six times all the way through. So I've kind of fallen in love with a lot of the NPCs. The one in particular, Angus McDonald, he's the world's greatest detective. He's a little boy and like the other characters pick on him so much and you just can't help but love the guy. Our cat's named after him. I love, he's my favorite. He's great. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the McElroy boys uh, from West Virginia. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then for the flip flop, do you have a favorite side quest from an RPG video game, or if not, you know, film, literature, etc. And why is it your favorite side quest? It feels very much like low hanging fruit uh, because it's. I would imagine it's pretty popular now. It's new, but I just finished playing the Ghost of Tsushima game uh, a few weeks ago. And I binged it. Like, I don't get to play video games, but to my own risk of my own health, just didn't sleep enough and just played that game. A big part of it is like the side quests. It's because they're so like, the whole game is beautiful, but everything just blends so seamlessly. All the side quests feel like very well integrated into the game. It's sometimes you forget you're playing them. I would say just like any side quest or or string of side quests through that game because they all sort of follow a string. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's great. I've definitely seen the trailers, uh, but yeah, it looks very gorgeous from what I've seen. Um, You know, feudal Japan and, you know, being a, a shogun. Uh, Ronin warrior going around the country and I guess suppose getting your revenge on those who've wronged you basically. 
there's so so much nuance to the game, but if if we're talking about broad strokes, yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. It's so good. It's so good. Hello, everyone. I just want to take a moment to tell you about my first ever sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicenda is the mastermind behind this trifecta of triumph. He produces tabletop-themed beard balms, beard-themed tabletop RPGs, and helps to support additional tabletop content creators on Patreon. Now, each of his beard balms is flavored after the basic stats from D&D. Do you need some strength for your beard? Why, apply and feel yourself empowered with the scent of pine and cedar with a minty edge. If you're feeling rather charismatic, apply a balm of sweet-smelling amber, clove, and pipe tobacco. Each one of these balms is unique in its makeup. And of course, don't forget, Tony developed a whole RPG that allows you to harness your facial ferocity and hair-raising adventures. You can snag a copy of that game as well as a style stencil, enamel pin, or a map of the Whiskerverse. And finally, aside from all of the awesome interviews and actual plays Tony has on Plus One EXP, every purchase you make feeds into the Plus One Forward program, which supports small indie content creators to continue making amazing tabletop RPG content. So head on over to plusonexp.com. That's plus one spelled out and exp.com in order to shop for these balms and games and more. And when you go to check out, use my affiliate code Randolph to save some coin on your purchase and to help support sidekicks and side quests. How else do you think our tavern keeper at the Levitating Platter is going to keep his silver beard so awesome? Once again, the code is Randolph, like how it's spelled on episode two and his write-up, in order to save on your order and help support the show. So thank you so much, and now, back to the podcast. All right, and then to round out the personal interview section, what are you passionate about and why? Yeah, you know, I don't have a lot of free time being in school and whatnot, but I've been a musician since probably seventh grade and I've accumulated different instruments since that time. And so I've sort of fallen pretty consistently with guitar, bass and a little bit of synth, um, mostly a bass player. And so I still love to play whenever I get a little bit of time. I've been messing around sort of a little side project that I'm doing, which is where I'm taking some of my favorite movies and creating 60 second soundtracks to them, just like music inspired by them. I started like an Instagram. I got really into it for a couple weeks and then school got busy. So, you know, I want to get back into that. So far, I've done Alien, Silence of the Lambs and Blade Runner. Whoa, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so I, I just love to create. And of course, your testimony to, uh, you know, being in love with music probably is what drew us both to the same music fraternity in our college days. And that's how we actually ended up meeting. I think it was in uh, Evansville, if I'm not mistaken, in 2015 at the leadership conference that they had. Yeah, I mean, 2015 was a, well, it wouldn't have been 2015. Or is it, was it before that? It would have been before that, because 2015, oh. at a certain point, they all start to run together, but 2015 was a convention year, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, it 2012, maybe, is what it was. Maybe? Yeah, 2012 was a convention year, too. So, def- somewhere in between there. I think it was 2011. Okay. Maybe. I could be way off base, but. 13 or 14, possibly? You know, somewhere between 2007 and 2015. We met in person and got to be friends. 
Yeah, yeah. That though, what's funny is I know the event because I didn't go to too many of the leadership events, but I met a lot of like awesome people at that event that I still keep in contact with. Yeah. More so than like the Great. big conventions. The big conventions, there's so much going on. There's so many people, but like you know, those small. Anyway, I digress. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all part of music, so we love it. So, all right. Uh, well, now that we've gotten to learn a little bit more about my guest, let's go ahead and make an NPC. Right. So this is the part of the show now where we get to bring a character to life. And I believe in preparation for this episode, you already have a character in mind that you would like to share with us today. Is that correct? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, I was DMing for my eighth grade students. And um, I don't know, I wanted to kind of like, obviously I had never really DMed much before. So I was looking for ideas and just saving everything I could to my computer and I had an idea or I found it of sort of a carnival campaign or event and the carnival mostly because it was an after-school club I needed everything that like I needed all those events to be sort of self-contained and really like one shots almost but I wanted them to tie into a bigger story because obviously being a huge fan of the adventure zone I was like super into that story and so I thought like a carnival like every time they meet they'll have to do a different game and they'll have to beat so many games or whatever so this whole idea started about an evil carnival and I think I found some stuff and and I think I found a rough sketch of someone's ideas about it and I I can't remember how much of this character I pulled from that I think it was just the name but just in case you have a random reddit listener that was like hey that's my thing yes (laughs) it probably is but I'm definitely I definitely ended up trying to make this character much bigger than it was in the sketch I know that for sure well, I think that the great secret about being a dungeon master is that uh, you live long enough as a dungeon master to rip off the things you love and put your own spin on them. And then your players who may or may not know where you got your inspiration from will just think you're a genius. And it's like, thanks. I watch a lot of campy sci-fi movies and that's where all my villains come from. Right. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and put a name to this character. So what is the name of this character? Yeah, so his name is Professor Pandemonium, which is not corny at all. And like I said, I I think that part did come from Reddit or somewhere, but I think that's the last thing that I pulled from someone else. Okay, Professor Pandemonium. Definitely sounds like a carnival name. Right. So what is the ancestry for this character? He's a wizard, or was a wizard, but my idea was to have him be a lich. Okay, was he like a human wizard, an elven wizard, or any specific flavor of previous alive person before becoming a lich? I think in my head canon, he was always a human wizard previous, and I developed this whole backstory, and I had I have no idea how I was going to sort of narrate this in after school specials, but I developed the whole head canon around this guy. But this is about as far as I got. Perfect. Well, hopefully we'll get to crack your head open and hear and listen to some of this story. So it sounds like we've already buried the lead on this, but what is this character's job or role in society? Yeah, he's a carnival master. Carnival master of an evil carnival. Sounds very much like that arcade shoot-em-up game, Carnival. You would put so many quarters into trying to beat that game. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
how old is this character? Do you imagine he's been a lich a very long time or is he a fresh lich or what do you think? Yeah. So thinking about this question, I couldn't answer it mostly because I'm so new to D and D. If I tried to like guess on what an appropriate age was for a lich, I'd probably embarrass myself. So I'll just say in my head canon, he's probably a relatively young lich. Okay, so a fresh lich probably was running this evil circus and while he's, you know, doing, running all of his tricks and games, was trying to figure out that way to become a lich. And so now maybe like a new big rebranding has happened and now it's like Professor Pandemonium is new and he's undead now and better and bigger thrills at the circus, I suppose. Well, so here's where you'll get some of the headcanon that you didn't ask for. In my mind, he was always a kid that was part of the carnival that somehow had some dormant magic powers and that's how he ended up in the carnival and i don't know i think at some point i thought like he had a cat that died and he was like super upset about it because he didn't have any friends in the carnival and so that like started the fascination with wanting to learn the secrets to death and overcoming death and it was just by the sake of being in a traveling carnival and being exposed to different people you know, all over the world that he sort of started to piece together all the little bits about the secrets to beating death. Okay, I can see this now. Let's describe the physical appearance of Professor Pandemonium. So we know he's a relatively fresh lich, so, you know, probably not totally decrepit, but with his headcanon of Professor Pandemonium, let's describe him. So this is where I'm going to make all of your real D&D players really mad because I'm going to break the game because in my head canon, he was really good looking. He was tall and slim and had like really fancy carnival clothes. Definitely not lich like at all. Like I know what a lich is supposed to look like. So using glamours. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, doing a lot of research about how I could justify having this like skeezy, almost car salesman like, but like sexy carnival master. That would be how he draws people in. You know, I had to figure out some ways to justify that. And part of that I stole from, you know, the McElroys in their game because they face similar things. But anyway, yeah, he uses sort of the stuff he gets from people that he traps in the carnival to maintain his like physical appearance. Okay, interesting. So he has all the trappings of being a very, uh, <laughs> I know just recently my wife and I finally for the first time ever watched uh, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. So suddenly I got a picture of Hugh Jackman from The Greatest Showman ever. Like that's Professor Pandemonium. Yeah, basically. Or like the Zac Efron character. Oh, this, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's probably the better choice, I imagine. Well, some might argue that the Hugh Jackman choice is the better choice. Leave it down in the comments of our Reddit and Twitter if you think that Professor Pandemonium would look better as Hugh Jackman or Zac Efron. Maybe that'll get community engagement. Yeah. <laughs> fan art, you know, do, fan do the whole art, thing. Yeah, yep. We are happy to receive your fan art. Just please keep it uh, PG is all we ask. All right, so now what three adjectives would you use to describe Professor Pandemonium? So I alluded to this, but, you know, charming, cunning, and because he's a lich, you have to almost throw in the obligatory, like, intelligent. So he's been doing this a long time. Obviously, he's spent his whole life in the carnival, so he knows all the tricks of the trade. Yeah, and I think at a certain point, you one, being a wizard and being around for longer than a typical you know, human, for example, and, and traveling the world, you pick up 
a certain amount of knowledge that way. And then obviously to become a lich, there's an extensive acquiring of knowledge that goes along with that. So I think all that just adding up. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't not put intelligent in there. What is a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that Professor Pandemonium ascribes to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think him being a lich, you can't not say that his phylactery is probably not the, the item that he uh, possesses. Is there any particular way that this phylactery appears? Does he keep it well hidden? Is it like on his person in plain sight, but disguised otherwise? No, so in my head canon, it's a coin-based carnival, right? And so he would meet the adventurers as they came in. I think we may talk about this, but you get coins for winning certain games. And so my players were never going to know which games gave you the right coins. And so they would continue to have to play games. Only very specific ones would have given them what they needed to access the main tent or the big tent, right? And in that big tent would have been the phylactery. I wasn't sure if there would be something in there or whether the tent itself just housed the phylactery. But, you know, the end goal was to get in the big tent and you had to do that by playing essentially all these mini bosses and only some of them unlocked it and some of them didn't you had to have like tickets or coins i don't know there's like whole thing about it okay i mean it sounds interesting so having some like red herrings i mean it still gives your players a chance to gain experience and level up but not knowing okay well which games do we have to play in order to get in there and maybe not making it so much of a process of elimination and just kind of allowing them to play the games and explore and then maybe they get lucky on their first game and they get right in to the big tent or they have to play a couple games to figure out um you know which one is the right one it was totally pragmatic for me too i was a teacher at the same time i was planning this and so i didn't want to create all these different encounters so if i created a bunch of mini games and they happen to get lost and play the wrong one one week then cool you know that was another week i didn't have to plan this whole new series of encounters and they got to level up and it was fun and it's a carnival you know so it it was a whole thing Okay, so with the phylactery being tied to the token or the ticket system, so does that mean that the phylactery is like the receptacle where they would put their coins in? Because I may be reading ahead in my notes, but I figured, did the coins or the tokens actually represent the life force, essence, souls of the characters themselves? No, that sounds way cooler than anything I had thought up. <laughs> oh, okay. The The goal was, you know, as you described this carnival, the big tent was probably going to be the thing that they were going to go to first, right? Because of course you would. Why wouldn't you? And so the big tent, in my mind, I didn't know how. I, I never got so far with them because we never actually got to play it. That it was just going to be shut off so they would open up the flap and there would be a locked door. And so say that there's 10 games in the carnival, but you need three keys or three coins right and only three of the games will give you the coins that was just the way to get in the tent okay yeah i guess a little bit of creative license but the phylactery is located somewhere inside the big tent uh that's guarded and should the adventurers be successful in retrieving the necessary number of keys or tokens they can then access it and hidden somewhere within the big tent However creative you decide to get is where the lich's phylactery is. Okay. Right, right. So Professor Pandemonium runs across some fresh meat. I mean, player characters, and he wants to give them a quest. What's the side quest that he's going to offer the heroes? 
Yeah, I think ultimately he wants to get people to go to the carnival because the more people go to the carnival, the more you know people that will ultimately become trapped in it and die and feed his life force. And so I don't think the end game was necessarily for the player characters, but to entice the player characters to one, help recruit and then act as security. That would have been sort of the job offer and they would have been serving this negative purpose or this diabolical purpose. I don't know. I was kind of hoping to set the stage where the players would have some goal where they needed to travel far away. So this idea of a traveling carnival would have been enticing to them. And they would have maybe done that for a little bit of time before they realized what was really going on. Definitely this sounds like this Professor Pandemonium's traveling circus certainly sounds like a fun side quest in and of itself, especially if the nefarious purpose behind it is to attract and trap people in there so that way this undead creature can feed on their souls and their life force. Okay, so he recognizes that they have abilities and talents, and being this lawful, evil creature, I imagine, he offers them the opportunity to become employed of his circus and to get other people to attend the circus is it going to be i guess for the purposes of a side quest is it more of like you know travel with me to the next town and encourage people to come to the circus or is it oh hey you just happen to stumble across this circus i know there's a town down the road if you can convince townspeople to come to the circus then i'll pay you or are you thinking more of a oh I'll, you know please guard the circus and make sure that nothing bad goes on but then that's your opportunity for the players to find out that something's going wrong, especially if like people are trying to escape and they're like, oh, it's, it's bad in here. Help us escape. And then they're kind of like, huh, what's going on? I don't understand. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think someone could take that either way, but I think my intention for it, which matters nothing because people do with this stuff what they want, but it probably would have been one of those things where Professor Pandemonium just tries to get them, says, hey, we're going to this next town over. You know, I want you to help get people to the carnival, talk it up. You know, you're very charming. You've got all these friends, whatever, whatever. I, it really would have been dependent on, on what had been going on before then and sort of what their goals were. Essentially, I was going to craft an ask that would have enticed them based on what they were trying to do or whatever their backstories were. So I wanted to dangle that carrot in front of them. I just didn't know what that carrot was at the time. Sure. Okay. So obviously this very evil creature comes along and in an effort to recruit them or hire them to a simple side quest, like sure, go to the next town and talk up the carnival or be extra security detail on my carnival. Professor Pandemonium is, you know, his glamorous self and charming self and the players don't catch on that really he is this evil creature, then they might think, oh, sure. Especially if he's going to give them, uh, you know, a very valuable reward uh, for just doing something as simple as being a barker for the carnival or oh you mean i have to just stand here and make sure nothing bad happens okay sure professor pandemonium hires the player characters to do the task what is going to be their reward for succeeding is it going to be coin is it going to be what is it going to be i think that's where a dungeon master could be creative i think 
coins are, are certainly the easiest. And if you want to run this as like a, a small side quest and sure and short, but I think obviously if you wanted to make this a much bigger thing that was more prolonged and went over a handful of sessions, then obviously you may want to think about what else. But I think for my purposes that I was planning for, it was just going to be coins or I had one character that was obsessed with like becoming famous or like becoming well known. And so I think I, I planned to dangle that thing in front of him. And, and, you know, it was the reputation of Ah, well, yeah, certainly if he's if he's traveled the world, this Professor Pandemonium character, certainly a promise of increasing their renown and reputation. So other people in other towns hear about them and those other towns are more likely to be friendly to the heroes. So that could certainly be a good reward. But now we have to consider the opposite effect of what's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call. For me, it was very cinematic when I thought about it. It was, the answer is yes. And as long as they help Professor Pandemonium, he's going to be cool towards them, right? He's never going to let that guard down. They'll never, they won't figure it out because they're helping him. But for me, in my mind, when I thought about this was, it was very much a movie where as soon as you say no, like the door's shut and it's game on. Like, you're either going to die in this mm, carnival. He's just going to attack the players. Okay. Like the carnival, the the gates close and it's like, you're either going to die or you're going to get through the carnival. Of course, the professor would never expect them to get through the carnival. So they would just die in the carnival. Like they would have to play the games and he would probably have some corny phrase like, uh, well, I don't want to steal that from Saul, which I almost did incidentally. See, there there would be some something goofy like that. But yeah, I think certainly as long as people help him, he'll keep him around to use them. But as soon as they won't, they got to play the games. Okay, so positing then. So the minute that they're like, all right, well, this is cool, but we have more important things to go and do. That's when the switch happens, the gates all close, and then they realize, oh, this is actually a lawful evil character that we've been helping this entire time. And now oh, yeah. we have to fight for our lives. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think when I originally planned it, like I had no expectation that the players would actually help him. I was going to try to get them to, but I had no expectation. Like I just wanted a cool carnival fight. But, you know, that moment for me, if now thinking about it a couple years later, that would have been awesome to just like have them like make them believe that he was awesome and like had this cool opportunity for reward or whatever and then all of a sudden to see their face when they realize oh my gosh it's a bait and switch a hundred percent so what are the goals and motivations of the character I think for him now at this point, it's a cyclical process. It's a matter of getting the energy to stay young looking, right? Which only serves to recruit people or, or to attract people to come to the carnival to get more. So I think if there was any reason he wanted to become a lich, he forgot that a long time ago. The memory of his cat is long forgotten. Yeah, yeah. And I, there was a whole thing with the cat that... I won't even get into, but that was added way later when I sort of got really into like the symbolism of a black cat. Well, with his goals and motivations in mind, how do they affect his general personality then? If he's so motivated with this cyclical need to feed, uh, if you will. No, that's 100% how I think about it. And like, I don't know in D&D parlance because I'm, I'm not, I certainly never played against or as a lich. So I have no idea how much of anything that I've said is, is real or, or would, would actually work at a table. But, you know, in my mind, he was just very car salesman. -y. Like he had the look, slicked back, the sexiest man you've ever seen because he's just 
those souls are just feeding him and he's just looking like a, I don't know, like a snack. <laughs> yeah. It was just very car salesman-y, you know, like a typical, I don't know. I don't want to say typical. I don't, I don't want to like put anyone in a box, but. So he would say all the right things. He would do all the right things. He would look the look. He would talk the talk just to keep that going. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He was, you wanted to go to that carnival, if not for the games for him, because he just pulled you in. How does Professor Pandemonium normally interact with different groups of people? Does he act the same across the board? I don't know in thinking about the character that I ever had thought about it that in depth, just because I wasn't sure how many relationships I, I would build or, or think about. But now thinking about it, I think just in general, as long as people can help him serve his purpose, he's probably indifferent towards them. I think for the people that are already in the carnival, had this whole thing about there would be like nonviolent ghosts that would man all the rides and stuff. And I think he just is very indifferent towards them. I think he's charming to the people he's trying to recruit to either come in or work at the carnival and work in being just a replacement for your player characters or whatever. But as long as they wouldn't play the game, lights out. Uh, Is there a particular accent or language Professor Pandemonium employs? Are there any idiosyncrasies in the way that he acts or speaks? Hmm... I had never thought about that. I don't think there was an accent for sure or or a particular language. I certainly think that that could be adaptable. I think that he probably would would change that up depending on where he was and who he was talking to. But sort of the headcanon around him was just like, not sleazy, that's not sexy, but just like a really charming person, almost too charming. Very chameleon-like. Yeah, for sure. So maybe even if you've been there for a while, you've heard of him, maybe there's no real way to kind of pin him down because he's always adapting, trying to figure out his strategy to entice people to get into and stay and get trapped and become his meal, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think he, there were certain things that probably would stay the same about him. He's probably always got the nice hair, whatever is in vogue at the time. Always loud, always boisterous, and if he's recruiting, always happy and and charming, so. What impact has this character made on the world? How has he shaped the local area? Well, I'll take the second question first. I don't think he's shaped the local area much because I think as soon as things start to make sense about what's really happening, they're gone. And I think that's the idea behind the carnival, right? So it's a little bit of a background for him, but it's also very pragmatic in, in how you justify, like, how has he kept this going for so long and, and yada yada. But I think the impact on the world is just a lot of bodies, are there a lot of urban legends and ghost stories and tall tales about this traveling carnival that eats your soul? Oh, yeah. And I think that that's probably how the player characters probably stumbled upon it. You know, they would have heard tale about the carnival coming into town and someone's gone missing and, and things like that. But he's not training anyone to be a lich he's there's nothing like that it's very self-serving he's just gonna keep running the carnival and, and stay alive does professor pandemonium have any current problems that prevent him from being an even bigger player on the stage I mean, if, if we're talking about sort of the, the potential canon that we've created, it's just recruiting. It's recruiting people. Can't get enough souls. No, I mean, carnivals just can't get enough people to come out and go to the carnival. Just want to take a moment to recognize another sponsor of the show, Reaper Miniatures. 
They have been Texas Titans of the tabletop industry since 1994. They're right here in my backyard, and they have an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories, stream on Twitch with tutorials and interviews, and host the ReaperCon. This year, back in person from September 2nd to 5th, 2021 in Denton, Texas. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature that has you covered. Want to include Randolph in your game? Then might I suggest looking at their catalog for SKU number 77661. Perhaps you need a Lord Grubbub. Check out SKU 02646. Are you in the market for your very own Skink Knows the Lich? Look no further than SKU number 77280. You know, every time you shop with them and you spend at least $40 on your purchase, they will give you a cool new mini for free. And this miniature of the month is always something new. And if you're wondering how you can enjoy the benefits from my sponsor, if you visit my website, you can find a link for our sponsorship and use my referral code link when you shop to help support Sidekicks and SideQuests and get you some savings. By clicking that link on my website, it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards Reaper Miniatures. The more traffic, the more that our Texas powers will be able to combine. So again, go check the link out on my website in order to use my special referral code, and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. And be sure to sign up for ReaperCon 2021 and tell them that Sidekicks and SideQuest sent you. So thank you very much to this sponsor, and back to the podcast. I think we have painted quite the picture of Professor Pandemonium. Try saying that five times fast. I think it's only fitting now that we head into a random encounter. So this is the part of the show where we get to flex our D&D muscles. We get to do a little role play, a little vignettes. And so since you've brought this deliciously evil character to us, I think it's only fitting that you should embody Professor Pandemonium. And just so I don't ruin the little continuity that I have between all these podcast episodes, I don't want to sacrifice anyone to this evil guy. So I'm wondering, we could set the scene of like a random townsperson being drawn in or persuaded to come to the carnival, perhaps. You know, you don't have to sacrifice anyone. You can just send someone to come work for the carnival. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's me well, metagaming. Trying to that's get you, you metagaming? Yeah, trying to get you to send someone with me. As if I am Professor Pandemonium. It could certainly be a podcast first if I ever make like a truly evil character. Because I have Duncan, who's like my chaotic, good, all-around adventurer helper kind of guy. Then you have Sonya, who's like my warrior woman. And she's a little more rough around the edges. But, you know, she'll get the job done. But I don't see her as quite evil, necessarily. I could flesh out, you know, a truly evil character to help me in more roleplay, random encounter situations. So I could do that here, right now, create a brand new in the podcast uh, universe character that could be like my truly lawful evil sort of a character. Do you think that sounds like something I should do? It's your podcast, man. All right. Well, I think I'm going to do it. So I have Duncan. I have Sonia. So now who should I have? I'm thinking in my head, I'm getting probably someone who's also see the last two ones I've had are kind of like more fighty. So I think I should have a magic kind of character. So a magic user, someone who's lawful evil. Oh, I could just have like an arcane trickster. There we go. A lawful evil arcane trickster. 
I envision Duncan and Sonia as just like regular humans, so I could just have this arcane trickster be a human as well. I would make a suggestion. Well, what's your suggestion? Let me hear it. Because this game is all about yes and, so. You know, you could just make like a dwarf trickster. I was just thinking in my head a dwarf, and people seem to love dwarves on this show. So, okay, we're going to have an arcane trickster dwarf, and he's lawful evil. And what is a good name? Korak. There we go. K-O-R-R-A-K. The scene opens up outside of a imposing mountain home of dwarves. Way down in the valley from there, we can see the faint outlines and shapes of a otherwise normal appearing carnival. Uh, exiting the mountain kingdom is a, a very rugged and scar-riddled dwarf named Korak. And as Korak is walking down the road, leaving this uh, town, he can see other travelers on the road, but he's not paying them any mind. And then uh, finally, after a bit of walking, he hears faint carnival-esque music, but maybe it's slightly out of tune. He can't quite place it. He can hear a rustling in the wind as uh, birds are leaving. And as he gets closer, he can see this finely dressed, very charismatic, impressive looking ringmaster as he was barking at passersby, trying to entice people to come into the carnival. And uh, Korak will turn his attention toward this man as he as he hears him uh, shouting to a merchant and his uh, team of caravan guards as they're going the opposite way. Hey, hey, dwarf guy. Come here. Aye, what do you want? Where are you off to? Well, I done a fair bit of pranks and stealing in the kingdom. Now I figured I'd be on to the next town to do what I do best. Well, we're only going to be here for a short amount of time. You know, we can help you go to the next town. We travel all the time. Well... Certainly would be nice to not have to walk on the feet all the time. Oh, we've got you wagons. You need any help or something? Well, I mean, I think it's only fair if if we're going to give you a ride in the next town that you can help us out while we're setting up camp in this town for a couple days. And, you know, while you're here, we'll keep you safe, hide you in a tent. We just need your help around the the uh, the carnival for a couple days, and then we'll be on our way to the next town. Korak is uh, nodding his head and he's like scratching under his uh, his blackened and, uh, and gray. Uh, there's flecks of gray probably coming in around the, the sides of the mouth going down into the chin. And he scratches his chin and thinks about it. And his hands instinctively go into one of his secret pouches where he's hiding some jewels that he's probably stolen from some princess or something. And he goes, okay, I could agree to help out around here. Yeah, I could lay low, get a ride to the next town. Sure, what you need me to do around here? I don't have to dress up or nothing, do I? Not unless you want to. I mean, I, you said you were pretty good at tricks, and we could have a long-term spot for you, but, you know, our, our daily needs are really just get people to come to the carnival or make sure no one's causing any trouble when they're here. And if you can do one or both of those things, you can hang with us until we hit the next town. All right. Sounds like a plan. Great. Lead the way, master. Spring master. <laughs> so I want to give you a quick tour around the carnival real quick. Now, we've got our games here. Uh, they won't be open till mm. later tonight when the sun goes down. And mm. we've got some tents set up over here. And he walks, 
He walks you by a set of uh, tents that are a little less uh, showy, a little less bright. And he says, these are where we are, where people sleep at night. Don't go in there. I'll show you to your, your mat uh, this evening when it's time to mm-hmm. go down. And uh, over here around this corner, some more games, um, some more food trucks and stands. You can get some, some different food stuffs here and drinks. Um, keeps walking you around. And he says, well, this is a little goblin marketplace. You'll be able to spend any of your money that you have, trade. He instinctively starts reaching for daggers because he sees goblins and he's like, don't like goblins much. Now look, there's all kinds here. And if you want to ride to the next town, you've just got to lay low for a little bit. We can, we can keep you away from the goblins. That's fine. I promise they won't, they won't mess with you at all. This is their okay. one little spot. They just run the market and uh, we can keep you, keep you away from them his hand you know he kind of does uh like all right all right i'm cool he like releases his hands on his daggers and he goes all right just you know goblins and dwarves don't always get along never met a goblin that i didn't really like but all right whatever and here in the middle of the carnival in this big tent is where our main attractions are now Mm. our main attractions don't happen until the last night of the carnival so we keep this locked up pretty tight we sell special tickets uh, that last night, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that the night before we head out of town. But for now, there's nothing to see in there. And so um, what we'll do now is I'll get you set up with your mat. And we'll get you on your way to recruit some people uh, to come to tonight's show. All right. As he's getting ready, he looks back at the big tent and just kind of is like as if he's thinking of a joke to himself. And he's like, wonder if there's a bearded elf or something weird like that, but he just kind of like shrugs his shoulder and just follows Professor Pandemonium along. And scene. All right. I hadn't thought about that voice yet, so I didn't use one. <laughs> well, uh, as we're starting to head into our final thoughts of the show, um, what did you think of the experience of this podcast, the bringing Professor Pandemonium to life, and a little random encounter that we just had? Yeah, man, I, I, I'm rusty for sure. I, playing with 13-year-olds, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you, you get to use funny voices, but it's been a few years, so I have to dust off my role-playing chops before my West Marches campaign, but it was really cool to think about that character a little bit more in depth. I haven't thought about that character in years, uh, and I was pretty bummed that I didn't get to do it. The character was cool and I thought the idea for the carnival and these mini games was cool. It's something that I'd like to to flesh out. And so it was it was really interesting and fun to get back into it and um actually do some research. I found a lot of uh joy in just kind of researching liches and sort of what motivates them and stuff. And so it was kind of like I had been out of the D and D game for a minute, just being so busy in law school and it, it kinda like bit me. The bug the bug got me again. I'm glad that we were able to get you to scratch your itch and get to have a little spark of joy back in your life as far as D&D was concerned. And I certainly hope that everyone listening to this episode will decide to deploy Professor Pandemonium's, I don't know, you'd probably have to think of a good name of the circus, paranormal, something started rolling off the tongue. But go ahead, listeners, and chime on our Twitter, on our Facebook, on our subreddit. Give us your best names for Professor Pandemonium's circus. 
we're reaching the closing moments of the podcast. I'd like to turn it to you, give you a platform and let you plug or promote anything that you've got going on. I mean, you were telling us about these uh, 60 second soundtracks. Where can people find that? What are the issues that you are passionate about, et cetera? It's your platform now. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm kind of going back and forth about social media right now, just whether I want to stay on it, but I'll plug it right now. I just literally this morning started a new Twitter account. It's just at Ian Shoulders. Everything that I have is basically at Ian Shoulders. If you're interested in the music stuff, uh, it's just at 60 Second Soundtracks on Instagram. It's all spelled out, no numbers. Hasn't been a post there in a minute, can sit down and make some i've got a few ideas so i'm excited about that i don't have much else to plug man i'm i'm just trying to stay busy with law school and got a little baby girl in the way so trying to plan for that congratulations certainly for all of that and um well i guess the next time that you see the mothman statue be sure to tell it hi uh that i enjoy playing fallout 76 a bunch and uh certainly i look forward to your success in law school and uh as well as the west marchers campaign general well-being and uh you know having fun and playing DD once again when you can i appreciate it i'm excited to get back into it Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word. And share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Thank you.